1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Pull Up Trey podcast, which is the podcast wherein Trey, my dear friend, he pulls up. We're going to cut right to the chase. We're talking about Bryce Sensibo, Bilal Kulabali on this episode. It's draft season, after all. But also, mixed in with that, we have to discuss a front runner for the rapper's job by the numbers, the gambling odds, and as far as like resume. Maybe the strongest resume applying or not applying, being considered for the Raptors yeah. coaching job, yeah. Becky Hammond. Uh, there's a lot of stuff flying around about her. We're going to talk about that, too. But first, Trey, how the hell are
0: you? I'm doing good. I was – yesterday I was, I was hoping that you know we could defy the odds and, and, and move up, but I can't be upset. That's
1: – so it was, it was like a big day for Toronto sports yesterday mm-hmm. or for our relations to Toronto sports. Cause we were at, you know, we took ourselves and our pals to a, a Jays game, a Gossman game, which means we're not going to see any runs scored by the Jays, obviously, but we're going to see some fine pitching they lost. And then our whole section, as we were kind of sitting there, uh, you know, we reacted to the lottery and seeing that the 1% chance that the Raptors had mm-hmm. to move it didn't materialize, and so there's nothing happening in the baseball game. Suddenly, five men scream out in angst and, and pain, and uh, yeah, how do you feel about that in the moment? Like, I heard um, you yelling, but, you know, is there words to go along with that?
0: It, it kind of just like a culmination of, like, everything that happened. You saw the Blazers, who had a, a worse, a better record than the Raptors at the time of the deadline, jump up to the number three pick because they decided to tank, and we decided not to. And we're at thirteen. Tough pill to swallow, but you know, it's draft season. You have hope. I've been digging into players nonstop because Yes. It's the only way you really can look forward to next season. So I'm excited to jump in.
1: Something we're probably gonna end up talking about as well is the fact that Portland did make that jump. Yeah. Because Portland is a team that has been openly clamoring their organization and their star Damian Lord for OG Ananobi. Even a report today said that Dame looks up to OG. I don't know what that's all about, but like, OG's a cool guy. I get it. But for if that's like an actual quote from Dame rather than editorializing on behalf, which it probably is of I'm the interested. reporter or whoever sourcing anything like that, but the Raptors probably could be in play for that number three. So yeah. something we'll talk about probably next week. Um, it'll be a little bit more heavy, but Let's start with the Becky Hammond stuff. Okay, so basically I'll give you the gist without ruffling any feathers, I think. Dierica Hamby is a player in the WNBA who recently got pregnant and traded from the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Aces. Now, pregnant women are protected. Their labor is protected. Their maternity leave is protected by the WNBA. You get your full check, your full payment when you are pregnant maternity leave, all this kind of stuff. This is something that women in the workplace have had to deal with for a very long time is discrimination based on their ability to get pregnant, seeing them not advance as much because they're deemed, you know, uh, less dependable, right? A, yes. bunch of, a bunch of stuff about that. And also then when they are pregnant, that discrimination coming as well. It seems on its face that D'Erica Hamby faced both of these things. Wherein she was pressured not to get pregnant, and then pressured and questioned and harassed about the fact that she did get pregnant, having her efforts to not get pregnant called into question, it being something that affected their negotiations for a contract, and eventually the alleged quote saying that we need bodies, you're pregnant, her getting traded, even though yes. she had apparently um, negotiated a lesser contract so that she could stay in Las Vegas. You know, people have their roots. We talk about NBA players. It's a lot easier to justify, hey, they get traded whatsoever. WNBA players do not make the money that um, WNBA players do not make. They make good money, but they don't make like just move everywhere all the time type of money. So there's a bunch of stuff going around about that. DRKMB posted about this in January saying that, you know, she was being harassed and treated poorly because of her pregnancy. Becky Hammond, it turns out after the result of an investigation, gets suspended for two games without pay, two of the 40, and the aces, they lose their first round draft pick. And that is unprecedented. I think both of those things yeah. for the WNBA. Now there are critiques of the fact that there's going to be somebody who doesn't get drafted in a league that's already tough to make it in because of a coach's mistake, that's something. But also that Becky Hammond apparently, as in the results of this investigation, was somebody who was, conduct in the workplace, not like, that's, that's no good. That's bad behavior. And I don't wanna hit too hard on Becky and I don't wanna do like all that kind of stuff, but I'm gonna be honest, if there was a male coach coming from the WNBA who is being considered for the Raptors job. And this came out for most people. I think they would consider like, I don't want that coach yeah, because it's, it's a very bad look. Now we have an opposing point of view, right? So we're going to read you out the quotes kind of around this situation. Now, an interesting one is obviously from Becky herself. So quote, I don't recall my relationship with Hamby being anything but on the up and up. And I'm just Obviously, along with the organization, disappointed with the findings. It's never good to have your name be associated with something like that, which is not who you are as a person. That's not how I operate. I did talk to my team. They were great. I have to say they've been very professional throughout this whole process. Also on the side of Hammond was the ACES organization and vice president of the WNBA Players Association. Kelsey Plum, who is arguably the most popular WNBA player as far as like platform as far as like social media reach like she she's a very big name in the WNBA and she obviously is one of the better players in the league quote my job is to represent the players and that's the totality of everyone it's amazing when verdicts come back and no one is happy and I think that just shows a poor level of leadership and a poor process on the investigation end quote this is a stark contrast from what we typically see in the NBA where NBA players, we can agree, yep. engage in a great deal of headassery. Not like getting pregnant, which is getting pregnant is fine, you know? Mm-hmm. But NBA players engage in real headassery. They do like absurdly stupid things, as anybody does in any group, right? Um, but the NBA Players Association, they would never say something like this. So it is odd to see that, you know, like it's a union that they're not coming out on the side of the players or she's not coming out on the side of the players. Last quote I'll read for you. Quote, this is from Kathy Engelberg. It is critical that we uphold the values of integrity and fairness, which create a level playing field for our teams. The ACEs failed to adhere to league rules and regulations and have been disciplined accordingly. We're also disheartened by the violation of our respect in the workplace policies and remain committed to ensuring that enhanced training is conducted and standards are followed across all WNBA teams. I've just unloaded quotes, context, the situation. Trey, what are your thoughts on all of it?
0: That's a lot to digest. But um, I think first, probably like the the lack of like publicity around the current situation, seeing that Hamby spoke about this months ago. We've seen situations where we've seen other players, like especially in the NBA, say that this coach was upset with me because I didn't push through this. Interview. We even saw that with OG actually. In, in the most relevant scenario for us. We've seen we've seen Matt Barnes come out against Doc Rivers for being forced to play or being egged on to play because of a certain injury, and that could influence their position on the team in the future and in the present. Um, with a situation like a, preg- a pregnancy, which is not an injury or something that um, someone is act- actively decides that they want to do, the fact that um, winning is being upheld over natural born life is kind of, kind of disturbing in a sense. And I don't think, I think ideally like the punishment is probably too light for if considering the fact that two games is where someone's entire life being rooted around someone who's pregnant, moving to a new team that also has to deal with being a mother and also being a professional athlete at the same time, doesn't have like, is obviously extremely difficult at the same time. I think it just goes to show that a lot of any organization, no matter what level, gender, they value winning over humanity nine, 99.9% of the time. So I know a lot of people are probably shocked. I was shocked, especially because Becky has been championed as someone that needs needs another job. And I'm not saying that she should never get uh, an NBA job, but it's really disappointing that it came from her because so many people were looked up to her and obviously want her to make break through a, a glass ceiling and getting into it, getting an MBA job. But overall, I, I would just say it's it's disappointing, especially from Plum's perspective, where it, it appears as though that there she hasn't necessarily taken uh, enough seriousness in the situation or even um, condemned her coach in what happened in the in the situation.
1: It's like that's a quite a line to yeah. take. Right. So I, 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 get it from the, if all the girls get together, all the ladies get together and say like, because it's sports, you have a finite amount of time in the league yeah. contracts, lining up, everything like that. It's a big year for the aces. Last year was a big year for the aces, all this kind of stuff. And everybody says it's important that we all don't get pregnant. Like, you like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like they say, like all of us want to be available in the most important games, etc., all that kind of stuff. I understand that those conversations obviously happen, but there has to be grace allowed for when like, yeah. if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen tough. You know what I mean? So, and then applying pressure on a, like, you know, a pregnancy is a pretty big deal. It's yeah. not like a sprained ankle, like LeBron James can't tie the womb tighter. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like yeah. it's, it's a huge deal. So yeah, there's, it seems like, and I'm coming out the way I'm discerning this situation is that I'm believing the Hamby, yes. her side of things. And so I think there's a lack of sensitivity from the opposing group and uh, I guess a couple members of it. It's, it's just, it sucks when there's like misconduct and you want to have somebody who is without misconduct. Now I'm sure, I don't know what it ends up. I don't know what it looks like. She'll probably she's going to do her suspension. Everything will eventually, you know, time heals everything, all that kind yeah. of stuff. We'll see. But it's, a, it's an interesting conversation that we've discussed for like, I don't know, 12, 13 minutes. You want to move on to draft stuff.
0: Oh, this is, this is my favorite, favorite time of the year.
1: Okay. We're going to start with Bryce Sensibo. And so these are the two prospects we said on the last pull of trade podcast that we'd be discussing. It's Sensibo and Kulabali. Cool Koulibaly is the teammate of Victor Wembanyama. He's like an 18-minute-per-game player. He is a tools-over-stats guy at this point in time. Some of the film really pops. Sensibo is like true freshman, was one of the best scorers in college this past year, is a certified bucket-getter to the degree that if you do some of those selective like Bartovic, you know that database and you're like yeah. who hits this amount of guarded shots who hits this um, at this percentage and takes this many and can hit threes and can hit pull-ups and can Sensibo is just like a dynamic and wide-ranging shot maker yeah. and for Ohio State he was awesome i want to get your initial thoughts on him before we kind of dive into Sensabo uh the player what we think might translate and uh, fit with the raptors Actually, before that goes, before that goes, let me say, I know people are going to comment on Twitter, on the website, on YouTube, podcast, wherever, and say they want us, like, maybe they're not in their expected range. Maybe they're not in whatever. We're, like, a month and some out of the draft. Like, we're going to be talking about a lot of prospects. This is not us, you know, like. We just have a lot of guys to talk about. This is not us selecting yep, nerds. Sensibo over Anthony Black or anything like that. It's just these are the guys we're talking about right now who we looked into. Yep. That's where we're at.
0: Okay. All right. Um, With Sensibo, I think he he breaks through the, the glass ceiling that the typical um, – his typical archetype in college has. Where you guys – there's guys like Cam Thomas, Marcus Howard, guys like that who are typically very small – very quick and are, are very jumper reliant and need to need help to generate space sense is the space creator. Well, the, the good thing about him is that although his weight or his size is a bit of concern, he uses that very well to generate space. And also once he gets a tilt and able to get downhill, he's polished enough with his footwork and also just bumps that he is able to open up space for his jumper although he doesn't have the burst i would say like to be that primary scoring option where where he was in ohio state you can see you can see points in time where if he was utilized on the suns where he would be coming off of a, a chicago action and he's a skilled enough shooter to have the footwork to score up and hit shots hit moving shots at a very high clip so for me if the defense checks out which is horrendous He has, he has a chance to to be probably the seal of the draft, I would say.
1: So I watched like a ton of film. I was very interested in him because I saw maybe like a two minute highlight package a month ago. And I was like, damn, I'm seeing this guy. Like he has, you know, the triple threat package. He has like jab series, all that kind of stuff. I see in this highlight tape, he's moving guys around a screen like, he can bait and ice and then go the other way and comfortably pull up, you know, left-handed dribble, right-handed jumper. It's, you know, that's the way his body's oriented. Yeah. He is a guy who I saw him sprinting off of, you know, sprinting into a corner for a grenade DHO and hit the jumper. That's, like, Bryn Forbes-level shooter stuff, and he's not, you know, as you say, with, like, Howard and Thomas, like, these diminutive guards that are jumper-reliant. Yeah. Sensibo is taller, big frame yeah. and he's doing this too as far as like what his jumper looks like some of his footwork i actually think buddy healed is a pretty good comp for like his shot prep and like how he navigates screens especially coming out of college although he wasn't quite the shooter but he's a lot younger than buddy yeah. and buddy was older than people thought like he's a year older <laughs> yeah, um if everybody remembers and that's it. He, he's a really impressive shooter the thing that is like I think the man. If you if you do it, it's like it's like Marcus Howard and like Sam Hauser and those types of shooters. Like Sam Hauser was a legend at Virginia, I think, shooting the ball. And Sensibo is a guy who fits into that very narrow view of like volume, efficiency, and self creation jumpers. And it's really good. The thing that he's more reliant on it than he should be. If you're trying to kind of project him to the NBA level, what obviously works is the set shot, the shot prep. If he's open at the NBA level, he'll be able to hit that very end. He'll be able to like draw closeouts and especially flybys and stuff like that. He'll deal with very comfortably. It's the creation that where we talk about long strides helping you kind of blow past guys and get clearance. I don't think that he has these super long strides typically. he's very controlled he's a choppy guy and while that doesn't help him get to the rim that does help him get to counters in the mid-range and so the interesting aspect of that is that in the short mid-range he shot 57 percent in the long mid-range he shot 50 percent his basically everything is going right to left like Mm -hmm. the counter is like right to left he's ending up on that left side. Hitting it, and that's where he rarely ever gets to the rim by his own creation. A lot of guys catch up on those drives, but they're catching up, and he's because he's going at his own pace and he's falling into that nice little spot on the floor where he hits that jumper. This is where it's you wonder, there's a bunch of college guys who I think make like eat in that range. They get comfortable, they hit shots over guys, they're typically not freshmen. The thing that makes sense about Different is that you can see flashes of strength creation to buoy that. And not strength creation as a senior or like a junior versus smaller college players, (laughs) but like he's a big freshman who you could conceivably see him doing it at the NBA level. Having these counters to kind of, if he gets the step, he can put guys in jail down the line. He can kind of like grind to the spot hit little pop shots Mm -hmm. and he'll also be a guy who i think will well he already does this at the college level but it's that one dribble jump stop pivot and hit shots out of that he should have a ton of counters in the future immediately i'm not so sure but the one thing for certain is that he can shoot off the bounce he can hit set shots and he shot basically as good on his guarded jumpers as he did on his unguarded jumpers and he took a lot of guarded jumpers the shot making Is really impressive. Um, One of the best in the draft. Now, as you say, the defense is kind of whatever. I'm I'm sure you have something to say.
0: Yeah, my question for you is, um, I think one thing I I see that he might have trouble scaling up to in the NBA is he's probably going to have to score against a position up from him. I would would see that a lot of teams are going to put like a Grant Williams, a Jay Crowder type body type on him seeing as he doesn't have the bursts, and those players have both the length and the strength to defend him. I wonder, is he skilled and polished enough to, to score and generate space, even if he doesn't have that necessary strength advantage. So he's got a
1: pretty, he has a functional handle. Yeah. He he has like little hezzies. He has in and out stuff. And he kind of plays with, you know, we see Jordan pool is maybe one of the most egregious, but he's really good with it Playing with and Trey Young too, playing with that pickup point, hovering hands. You know, is it the jumper coming? Is it going to be like a push into space? Yeah. He's, despite not being very manipulative and not getting that wide, and like because he, he's short, choppy steps, he has to beat guys with burst if he's going to beat them. Like, he's not going to step around, dudes. Um, there's definitely some manipulation. I don't think it's enough to like just burn, start burning guys. Yeah. It's enough that like he'll not get the ball poked away and he can set up his jumper. Everything is built around the jumper, getting to that jumper. The The moves he makes are rarely ever about like pushing into space. Like Jalen Green is a good example of this, mm-hmm. right? Jalen Green is like a big throw ahead dribble guy, throw ahead, gather, burst to the rim And that scales down to lower level players when it comes to that. But Sensibo is a guy who's like, he's always keeping the ball in his vicinity because he always wants to be able to like pull. And so that's an impressive part of his game. He's also going to, that's why the guarded shots thing matters because he's going to have guys in his face, his whole career. I think he's a choppy guy. A lot of it is about finding his space, his spots. And he has the, you know, like an almost unprecedented shot making package for a freshman at this volume, at this efficiency. And if you believe in that, which the film will make you believe in that, by the way, it's like he has a buttery form. He's so smooth getting to his spots. Um, He will sell dreams to you the same way that Gary Trent Jr. did except he's bigger. Right. And so it's going to look good. And it's just about getting the right amount of volume from downtown and then improving at his playmaking decisions. Do you, ha- I I'll, I'll guess I'll swing that to you. The playmaking is important because he's going to get run off the line and yep. he'll get run off the line into the jumpers, but he'll also get run off the line into passing opportunities.
0: So I would say beginning of the season, I would have said no. He was probably closer to that Cam Whitmore level where like the, the very tunnel vision-like, but you, what you saw towards the end of the season is that teams were actively knew he was their best player. And they were sending they were sending more doubles his way, and he was making better passes. The passing numbers, I believe, got better throughout the year. But for me, as as a player, as a player on a good team, I see him having a similar role as a Michael Porter Jr., where he doesn't have to create anything. He's going to be operating off of tilts, and he becomes ten times more dangerous just simply because he's an extraordinary shooter. Michael Porter Jr. got to a level, although he's much bigger. To yeah. a point where he can survive on defense, and his shot making makes up for anything, any lack of rotations or anything else, because he he both is a he's a great cutter as well as he can hit tons of contested shots. I think Bryce is gonna be able to hit something at a very close level, and also he probably can score more off the bounce at MPJ can, which is what you can see from a tertiary perspective is super valuable in the playoffs.
1: It's yeah, we're not talking about we've we haven't really kicked around the idea of a primary like oh, yeah. when we were when i talked to josh about kobe buffkin or grady dick and and cam whitmore like kobe was the guy who most conceivably you could see handing a decent amount of possessions to and even that seems like it's you know you're kicking the can down the road if it ends up being there um sensible i don't get that sense no. but um it doesn't seem sensible to give sensible that many um creation possessions but he shoots the hell out of the ball. And he also is going like that's there's just yeah. so talking about the playmaking. I saw a few passes where it's like pump on the in the corner, pump, put the ball down baseline, right? Everybody collapses to the paint. The immediate read for most players is out to the other corner as a passer. Sometimes you get the drift from the guy zoning up the weak side, and that above the break pass becomes available. All that kind of stuff. I saw him make a couple good reads, even even it seems like it's he's baiting the the zone right. Yeah. That's super encouraging. I saw him as because he was a handoff guy sometimes for Ohio, Ohio State as far as I could tell. Um, if guys were cheating, that gonna shoot the gap and there was a back cut available, he could make downhill reads. Mm-hmm. There's a few touch passes out on the perimeter. A lot of those like connective passes and like attacking tilts passes those were things that he could make not think he's so comfortable pulling up that he doesn't have a huge number of those types of plays because if you hit 57 percent on like that you put the ball down and you're picking up that's the points per possession is it speaks for itself that's good but I think that there's enough progression there to believe that that's going to be part of what he does and offensively I think he's going to be good in the NBA and I'm fairly new to this i've been you know eating off of everybody else's plate for the past few years just talking to all the best scouts i can but i this guy watching him i wouldn't be surprised if he could go north of 20 points per game like at the nba level and that's if his defense becomes acceptable which some of the bigger guys depending on how they're utilized if they're at the bottom of the defense if some of it is about positioning at the nail they can make that work if this Now, he was bad defensively, like off ball, off ball, fell asleep, died on screens. Every steal I saw him get was very gamble heavy. Like if he doesn't get this steal, it's a three on two or a three on one or something bad is happening. And he's not getting them with gusto like he's just getting there. And so and certainly he didn't seem to be sticky or dominant at the point of attack, but a guy who can score 20 at the NBA level is not super common. And not at 13, not, you know, where's he? He's supposed to be like uh, like around the back end of the lottery to yeah. the early 20s, right?
0: Yeah, he, he honestly can go anywhere. I think he's, he's very team dependent. Like, um, like when I was referring to MPJ, on the Raptors, he's probably less viable just because you're facing a shell the, the entire time. And
1: the, Well, can I say I like him next to Scotty? I like I do. I seeing how some of his like
0: I, I think other things would have to happen for that to work, but yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> other things, you know. <laughs> um, I I like I like his his shot prep. His yeah. screen like how he manipulates and kind of moves off of screens as a guy about to receive the ball or as a guy who just received the ball. If we are looking at Scotty as a guy who will have some future as a guy who's like, you know, in the high post as a handoff hub, all this kind of stuff, Sensibo does make sense, and I think we'll make shots out of that. You know, we talked, like, Caitlin talked about how Scotty, when used in this, had those magnetized eyes for Gary. He's like, I just want somebody to come make shots off of this screen and and these handoffs. And it's like, Sensibo could, as a rookie, I could conceivably see them having like a a two-man partnership in that regard.
0: I I can see that too. I think Scotty gets downhill, like, fairly decently i would say so he would he would be in a position where it kind of works and also he's just a the the level of passer obviously he's not jokic but he jokic is able to manifest possessions for mpj <laughs> simply by by creating advantages in the most like nuanced ways and that creates additional shots whereas if he had more of a traditional star it would probably be much harder for him to to get possessions on like non drive and kick type type looks, I would say. Overall, I'm I'm a Bryce fan. I probably have him higher than most. I would say he's the top ten player in the draft.
1: Wow. That is that is higher than most. Yeah. So I'll just I'll give everybody like the statistical rundown just because we collected the stats, might as well read them off. Not everybody's gonna go to hoop math or Bartovic or whatever. So basically point five eight seven true shooting percentage, that's quite good for college for anybody. 21% of his shots were at the rim, he shot 57.5% there, and 60% of those were unassisted, 575 is, that's not very impressive, just so everybody knows. 43% of his shots were jumpers inside the arc, he shot 50% on those, 56% from the short mid-range, 50% on the long mid-range, 36% of his shots were threes, he shot 40.5% on those, 15% were unassisted. 44% on guarded jumpers. That's really high. 48% on unguarded. And he's an 83% free throw shooter. Indicators, 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 shooter, shooter, shooter. It's just there. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about at the top, but there's room with his frame. Like we see guys every once in a while. It's not guaranteed. It's tough to, you know, zoom ahead to the future and say it's going to be there. But we see a lot of scorers who they come out of college and they score the ball better because let me use the term now proprioception they have a really good idea of where guys are in relation to them they know how to use their bodies to create space keep guys at bay and if they have the touch like Sensibo does then they can have like a really deep bag of shot making which is extremely valuable and something that raptors fans no doubt are like please bring it to my city I don't know if he's going to be the pick, but there's all this kind of stuff. Also, Josh, um, I was talking to him about Sensibo. uh, He said they use him as a pop screener and horns at Ohio State. That's also something like he's, you can do stuff as a screener when you got the bigger frame, you know, it's a little bit more affecting. And um, yeah, so I think that's kind of all I've got on Sensibo. This was, you know, us poking around, little little draft fellas. You want to move on to Koulibaly or what do you... I'm
0: I'm ready. This is my favorite prospect in the draft.
1: I'm ready. So you made a joke, an obvious joke, at uh, the end of the last... (laughs) 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 Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) At the end of the last podcast, you made a joke that um, Koulibaly was the best prospect coming from the Metropolitans in France. Mets 92, I believe the team name is. When I'm on basketball reference for them, it's Metropolitans... Frenchly gay. That's kind of what pops up. Yeah. Anyway, I decided to look into some Kula tape. You decide to do the same because, as we mentioned at the top, this is not a stats guy. You're not going to find like a heavy dose of, you know, stats to create like this framework of x amount of players here. Yeah. Like you, you sort them by usage, points per game, all this kind of stuff, and say. These are the guys who made it. These are the indicators. The indicators are on the tape where this guy is long, fluid, athletic, disruptive, and has a super workable set shot where he shot between 44 and 45% on his threes. In a league that wants length on a team that maybe still wants length like crazy, Kulabali, I believe, is an end of the first round prospect as far as where he's considered, right? Is that is that correct?
0: I I would say probably moves up, but I would say for right now, anywhere from like the teens to late 20s, I would say.
1: Okay, so typically not considered a lottery prospect. Nobody freak out. We're talking about lottery prospects as as it comes along. But Kulabali, we have to talk about the guys we know and the guys we're interested in. Trey liked Kulabali. So it was then on me to do the research oh, on my end please. to catch up. I like the film. I do. Okay. It's also super limited. Like, if you watch the highlights, this guy is going to blow you away because yep. you get to condense all the best plays. You condense all of Kulabali's best plays. You say, why doesn't this guy go top five? You watch a game. You know, maybe you're noticing Wambinyama for most of it, but you also see Kulabali as like a passenger for yeah. many minutes at a time. He's just out there. He runs the break whenever he can. He's active on defense, not always in a positive way. But man, I have a couple numbers that are going to blow some minds if you know Synergy was collecting the data properly. <laughs> um, he's tantalizing. Yeah. He's also quiet a lot of the time. I'd like to hear your pitch you're you're big on him
0: oh, uh, my pitch for the Raptors is we've already traded our pick next year. we <laughs> have if we're keeping the same the same team together, this is the probably the last time we'll have a pick this high with Pascal, Fred being this good. You need to swing for the fences and try to get a player with the tools that will extend this course timeline especially with the cba rules changing and the raptors becoming very expensive below incredible athlete great long strides and i think the major difference between these long kind of fluid guys you saw like um usman dang guys like that that came out last year is when he gets to the rim he's finishing at the rim he's a very good finisher and a lot of these finishes are dunks because he pops athletically. Um uh, his release is slow, but we have the Noah board. We're, we'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine there. He he already has shown workable skill sets in in the um on their big club where he can coexist and earn minutes immediately just simply by being a disrupted defender. Being able to hit his catch and shoot shots at a decent clip where it's valuable for him to be on the floor to accentuate, obviously, his length and the length of the team and also now have some viability because he is going to be able to come off a few actions and have the ability to um, show some fluidity and use his handle to then generate more offense for the team. Whereas now if we run an action for somebody like Gary Trent or somebody else, the possession is usually dying or it's a pass back out to Pascal who then has to create another tilt for the team. So I think the major the major pitches is that he has tools and the the size and length that he has. He has the the size, length, and tools of what you would want to see of a star three, four years down the line. And the ideal scenario is that if you're going to give Pascal this extension, Scotty, OG, and ideally this 13th pick are the ones leading the charge in his Year age 31, 32 season. I think that you kind of have to have that. If you get a, a Cam Johnson type pick, if you get Jet Howard, for example, who's going to be a good player, he's going to be able to hit shots, but doesn't necessarily move the needle. I think it's a wasted opportunity.
1: So I'll start on defense. Koulibaly and Sensibo, I think, are complete opposites defensively, in that Sensibo, when he wanted to create be become a defensive playmaker.
0: Yeah.
1: He has to gamble. Like it has to be a read. A really like he's you know you made the you know the comparison to Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. was a guy who his utility defensively for a long time was like being longer and bigger than guys yeah. expected him to be. And like these weak side blocks and like behind like trail blocks and stuff like that. Sensibo is is similar in that regard. Like his defensive playmaking will be like I'm gonna go for it. Koulibaly is just passive, defensive playmaking. He's one pass away. He doesn't really have to gamble on a dig because he's so long. He just takes like a baby step in. He has pretty good hands for timing, that kind of stuff. He's always present in passing lanes. He, like he, he, he doesn't really turn his back to the ball very often. He's, there's clearly a lot of potential there. And if Synergy isn't lying to me, I mean, guy, like the true shooting percentage of shots he defended, 40. True shooting, 40. That's insane. Even at the rim, guys didn't make shots against him. Jump shots in the mid range, guys didn't make shots against him. Like, I'm watching the film and I see he makes guys feel claustrophobic and he's like sliding sometimes. Like there's these nice Euro guards that are getting downhill, trying to get to the opposite side of the rim. Like he's, he's taking the bump, allowing the space, still sliding, pinning it off the glass. He's meeting dudes at the rim. It's not a ton, once again, because he's an 18 minutes per game player. It's not like the most, it's not the biggest schedule. It's not a whole bunch of games, but there's so many defensive tools at work that you're like, It's pretty easy to see this guy becoming like an impacting, affecting defender. And that's all great. He's also like similar to Scotty, how Scotty just being like Scotty, the best thing he does defensively currently is on switches. Scotty is pretty good at hanging around on the, like he's switching off ball. And now he's hanging around the guy who's trying to slip and he's catching up. But guys underestimate how long the Raptors are switching at the point of attack, catching back up. Cause usually it's like, Oh, this is a guard switching for the big who's slipping to the rim. Only it's like Pascal or OG or Scotty. Yeah. That pocket pass. It's not getting past their, you know, their, their catch radius. Yeah. Cool. is also a guy who like, he's in the mix always. That's the most impressive thing. uh, By far to me, he dunks everything. He is a one-speed offensive, like Sensibo is like, he has a few different speeds offensively, for example. Gulabali is one-speed offensively, um, which is a huge negative for most players. Like, you want to have more than one speed, obviously. It makes you have counters for your on-ball defender. It makes you able to, you know, manipulate the back end of the defense, and it allows you to create different timing for shot blockers and contests. Yeah. Kula in spite of being a one-speed player, is like this miraculous euro stepper in the lane, super long finisher at the rim, and you know, the contests at the rim are going to be more effective in the NBA. But he's pretty impressive when he's Very like downhill. Cool. now it, it, it's tough to project that because you do you can't do one speed at the NBA. It's just like Giannis is the only guy who gets to do one speed. Even Joel Embiid has like four different speeds, right? And he's 7'3, 280 pounds, whatever it is. That's something that cool ball he has to develop that I don't really see as present in his game whatsoever. Um, but the the physical tools are crazy. Yeah. Like he's you watch his highlights, you're thinking top five. You watch like a full game, a lot of the times you're like, where is he? Now, it's it's the team's job to determine, you know, how much of this becomes like you're feeling his presence all the time, but yeah, the tools are there.
0: It's it's tough. I think like the biggest question is how much do you because if you break down the stats of, um, actually let me reverse this back for for people that don't know what um Met ninety two did with um, Bulow is that a lot of they they put him kind of on like a the Delano Benton plan where he spent a lot of time with um, the B team, a lot of time with the A team, and he was playing as much as possible. Um, obviously, with a lot of these higher picks, not Lucas probably was usually the exception. Most of these young Euro players have to assimilate within the team. They're usually not getting shots. Guys like Wemby and Luca are usually the exception. You see guys who went high like Mario Hozonia, Christos Perzingis, guys like that. They weren't scoring a lot, but you saw those tools and. In Porzingis' sense, it it translated with with Bilal, I'm betting on the athletic tools um, translating enough for him to get a, get enough looks, and his he's already shown that he's able to fit in with with a professional team in a sense where he can hit he can hit a catch and shoot shot to the to the point where he needs to to be guarded. Forty five percent, man,
1: like and on decent volume given how much time he spent out there. He can hit shots, set shots. He can hit them.
0: And he's going to be able to get to the rim and finish a lot of the looks that he gets. If you close out on him and that's super valuable. So he's going to be able to ideally earn minutes fairly soon and scale up to a point where a team is then looking for, Hey, we need to give this guy reps. He's showing me something. Whereas someone like maybe Jonathan Kaminga early on was like too much of a train wreck to, to win minutes and also present him reps.
1: I will say, now it's it's obviously it's fine if you expect him to get better at this. Yeah. As far as like putting the ball down after a closeout and getting there. I don't I got to see that first. Fair enough. Is that like at the I I really have to see that first cuz that one speed thing like there might be some charges called on this young man. <laughs> I like and and while the same thing I looked for with Sensibo is You know, what type of passes is he making while on the move with advantage? Koulibaly, like, there's a bunch of interesting reads that he was able to make, but the playmaking isn't, like, he's not blowing anybody away with that. that. And, you know, if you're talking about, like, ball placement and the types of passes he can just use from, like, a where can you throw the ball point of view, not even vision, like, maybe that's, like, a little lacking. But the vision as well is, like, it's not popping all the time. These are all things that can get better, though. Um, And... If someone told me they expected him to hit on like a bunch of different things, I would not argue it. Even right now. I think I'm just trying to present it as like, these are the tools and they're crazy. It's just, you don't see them, you know, working that often. Um, It's really meaningful that he shoots the ball that well from downtown. I'll say that much. That is a really big deal because a lot of the guys like this, they don't shoot the ball that well from downtown. Like you have to, a lot of those guys, it's, this is this is kind of the new basketball, right? Like this same prospect in 2013 is a guy who you're like, he shot 32% from three. We have to get him to shoot jumpers at all. And now it's like, this guy shoots 45% from three. We have to get him to a point where like he's fluid on the pull-up so that when he gets run off the line, he has a counter.
0: Yeah. Or he
1: can do like a little drop dribble into space and hit that too. All those things are like, a lot more tenable as a developmental step than building out a whole jumper. God, do the Raptors ever know that? By the way, um it's a big deal that he hits threes the way he does. It's not a huge sample size, by the way. Yeah, that's- um and I'm not, I'm not the draft guy who's like, and he hit this at this weekend Marauders. He hit this at EYBL. He did that. Like, I don't have those numbers, but it's a big deal that he shot this well.
0: Yeah, I. To, for me, I, I think the, the biggest thing overall is even if say a pull-up jumper doesn't develop or he can't put the ball on the floor, you've seen guys like OG being able to... <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> let, me get you. let me finish. Go ahead,
1: go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
0: Okay. Very early on in his career... They were still able to find actions where he got moving and his athletic pop and his ability to finish at the rim was still valuable in a half court sense. He has not necessarily the same strength, but that same ability to finish at the rim. And the Raptors need a lot more of that. Um, you saw early in the season, OG was able to kind of be their, their probably their best advantage creator for a small uh, amount of time, just simply because he was able to to get to the rim and finish at a very high clip to the point where defenses had to make a decision on how to, to guard him. Did it work out after? No. But I think Bilal, if given the same opportunities, will be able to score at the rim at a, at a high clip while also being uh, a passable defender probably in year two or year three. So you're getting someone that's probably going to be able to play minutes for you even – with the upside of having these plus plus tools, which is very rare for those guys.
1: Something that we also didn't mention that is definitely worth mentioning, especially when you make the OG comp, is like, um, he's got a pretty good knack. Like, he's got a pretty good nose for cutting. Yeah. The, you have to, when you're limited off the dribble, you have to make your movement dangerous. Some guys don't. Especially guys who, if you're hitting that many spot-up threes, you might be content to just like, maybe the ball hits my hands and I get... You know, I get to take a, you know, an unguarded jumper or something like that. Yep. But Bali, he knows his length. He knows his mobility is a weapon. And there's lots of nice cuts that he made. Again, within the context of there's B team, there's A team, there's stuff like that. Um, I didn't see any B team, by the way. I only watched A team. B team,
0: he cooked. It was very Delano-esque.
1: Noted. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe I end up writing about him. This yeah. is like a preliminary something, but that's – how do you feel about that? It's cool, Bali. Like, I'll I'll read out the numbers, by the way, just yeah. so everybody has them. So the one that really stuck out to me is like shots defended, 40 – the true shooting percentage of 40. That's insane. I If I'm misreading that, like it seems like I would have to be. But if I'm not, then yeah, length is important defensively, and everybody's going to tell me about Fred. I get it. Ha, ha, ha. But yeah, true shooting percentage of 60.5%, 44% from three. He shot 67% at the rim. No presence in the mid-range. He only took 10 mid-range shots. He made one. Uh, So he only took 12 guarded jumpers all season. He shot 33%. Um, You don't want to dive into his numbers as much as we had, like, for Sensible, because there's just not the same range of shot making and, like, I don't know how, how many times do you guys want me to say like he shoots 10% on his mid-range <laughs> you know like oh well you know so those those are the numbers do you have any other cool volley points before we kind of hit the
0: road um to me I think he's a lottery pick just simply because I think in the draft right now there's probably like five to six guys where you could say like this is going to be a bona fide starter in the league and when you're at a position, sort of like where the Raptors are at, you need to bet on on tools. Guys who have shown plus plus athleticism, with the polish and footwork that he has and has shown in in his highest peaks, um, is is really rare. I think he's better than Jonathan Kaminga, who went fairly high. And I, I didn't say that to Tim, but <laughs> I think he's better than Jonathan Kaminga. I think he's better than the the uh, I think he's better than Usman Deng. I think he's. I better.
1: like Kuminga, man. the <laughs> no, Steve Kerr disagrees. <Curtis> <laughs> <No. laughs> you heard him. He said the championship window is gone the moment Kuminga is leaving.
0: Of course. <laughs> but yes, um, I just think he's way more polished than this athletic freak that typically goes late lotto where someone is betting on he's shown ability to scale with a a decent sized team he got more minutes on i believe bet finished second in the league if i'm not mistaken fairly high doesn't really matter but his minutes scaled up as the games got more important which bodes well for how good he can be in the league
1: french speakers you got pascal you got christian Three French speakers on one team is like a lot. Maybe there's some camaraderie there. I don't think anybody else speaks French on the Raptors, if I had to guess.
0: Oh, yeah, Kevin's not on the team anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chris Boucher. Duh. Oh, yeah, we're
0: going to killed. <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: he would have been the one doing it. He's like, Samson, you really – you forgot I speak yeah. French? You forgot about me?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that feels like a decent place yeah. to end it. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah. It was good. I'm I'm hoping to dig into more prospects. Hoping to disagree with Samson more on on these because I'm not really like these guys.
1: So you'll pick the prospects. We'll dive into it. Right. You don't have to pick them now, but just stay tuned, listener. We'll be back in a week, and this time around, we'll be talking a little bit more about not. We'll be talking about prospects once again, but we'll be talking about kind of the the permutations of how the Raptors might use the pick. We'll probably dedicate like ten minutes to like. Maybe, maybe they get an extra pick. Maybe the way that the lottery shook out means that there's a trade on the table, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I know people are going to say trade Pascal or trade OG could be either one of them, to be honest. Don't know what's going on over there. Really? Uh, Any parting shots from you, Trey, before we get out of here?
0: Um, After, after the lottery and realizing we're stuck at 13, I, I, I'm still confident with the draft history that we have, but we're going to get someone fairly good. So I'm smiling today.
1: Lottery, like a lottery pick yeah. is important. Yeah. I know that the Raptors won without a lottery pick, like, like Kawhi was 15, yeah. Kyle's back end, right? Like all this kind of stuff, but not that and Gasol, for example, all this stuff. I get it. But a lot of the talent on the Raptors team when they won without a lottery pick is that they traded lottery picks for guys who established themselves as stars in the NBA after not being lottery picks, which isn't the same. Because, like, you could pick from the league at large a team of non lottery picks. It's very rare that one singular team houses all the talent like even the heat, right? Like they have the, yeah. all the undrafted players, but they traded, well, sorry, they signed a guy who had had a lot of talent traded for him in the past and Jimmy, who's yeah. the hub. And yeah, all this kind of stuff. High picks are important. Yeah. I, it's important to stress that and it's important that the Raptors make good on this one. Trey, thanks for hopping on with me as always. Listener Hope You enjoyed, we put on a little scouting hat. We're doing a little bit of scouting, hanging out, And um, hopefully, you know, there's always there's like, you know, an armchair psychologist. There's armchair scouts, although a lot of scouting is done from a seat. If, you know, I'm geez, I'm ranting at this point. This is way off the beaten path. (laughs) I'm sure people have things they want to say to us that they want to tell us that we're wrong about or right about or they have guys they want us to talk about. Let us know in the comments if there's a bunch of people like I want to hear about this guy. Chances are we'll talk about them. Uh, That's about it. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Whether you got into this
0: in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.